to be able to say no in order to say a bigger yes. And that's what we're going to talk about. And, you know, I used to think that, that you had to give an excuse when you said no. Like somebody says, will you do something? And you go, oh, no, I, you know, my, my schedule's jam-packed. I got this and this and this and this. And, this. And, you, and you come up with these flowery excuses. But Jesus said that really what we're supposed to do is in a nice way say no if you have a bigger yes in mind. Well, let's look at what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 37. Say only yes if you mean yes and no if you mean no. If you say more than yes or no, it is from the evil one. Now, we've got to look at the context of this. We talked a little bit about it last week, but let me just catch you up. Jesus was talking to a group of people who were re- led by the Pharisees, who were the religion police. It was their job. That's what they were supposed to do. But they were so legalistic that they piled on all kinds of other rules on top of God's rules. And then these guys wanted religion to serve them. They weren't interested in serving religion. They wanted religion to serve them. So what they did was they devised this clever system where if you swore by uh, certain things, like if you swore by the altar, if you swore by the city of Jerusalem, if you swore by these things, if you used certain portions of words over here and you swore a promise that way, then your word was binding. But if you used these other words, then your word wasn't binding. And so what they were doing was they were getting around the truth. If something served their causes, then they would promise this way and they would do it. If something did not serve their, their purposes, mainly their, their bank account, if it would cost them money, for example, taking care of their parents. They said, if you dedicate it to the temple in this way, dedicate your stuff to God, you don't have to take care of your parents. Jesus shows up in the midst of this whole situation. His very first sermon, Matthew uh, chapter 5, he's talking on the Mount, Sermon on the Mount. He says, whoa, time out, new rule. Yes means yes. No means no. He says, if you're going to be a Christ follower, your character has got to be so pure that when you say yes, you mean it. And when you say no, you mean that too. Now, I've got to say no to certain things because of a bigger yes in my relationship with Jesus Christ. I've got to say no to certain things because of a bigger yes in my relationship with my wife. My highest human relationship is Janie Washburn. And I've got to say no to some things so that I can say yes to her. I've got to say no to some things because of my relationship with my children. And I've got to say no to some things because of a bigger yes as my, uh, as a pastor of New Life Community Church. When I say no, it's not a positive. Now, when you're a kid and you hear the word no given to you, is that a positive or a negative? Negative. Actually, as an adult, you probably think it's a negative when someone tells you no, that you want something, you know, no. But I'm going to argue today that no is actually a positive answer when you consider a bigger yes on the other side. Now, we're going to look at the Bible and and we're going to... It doesn't take long to flip through the pages of Scripture and you come across some people who said the right no. That's the key today. We're looking for the right no. And, and the first guy that we come to that, that pops out of my mind is Moses. Big Mo. We talk about Big Mo a lot around here. Moses was the hero of the Old Testament. Wrote the first five books of the Bible. He said no to the presidency of Egypt. Why would he do that? Because of a bigger yes. The bigger yes was God had chosen him to lead the Israelites out of Egyptian slavery. And so he has to think, okay, yes to the presidency of Egypt or yes to doing what God has called me to do. And if you were in that situation at that time, which one looked bigger? The presidency of of Egypt. Being Pharaoh looked bigger. Here we are 4,000 years later. 
Whose name do you know? Moses or the Pharaoh? Moses. Moses. Big Mo made the right no. And we're still talking about him 4,000 years later. There's another group. If you just kind of scroll through the Old Testament, you come to a couple of guys named Joshua and Caleb. I was so impressed with the no these guys said that when Janie and I had our, our first child, a boy, we named him Caleb. And my prayer has always been that my Caleb would, would become just a shadow of the man that the Caleb in the Bible was because he said the right no. He and Joshua said no to a bunch of whiny, legalistic, um, uh, belittling, backbiting, negative, mean-spirited Baptists. I mean Hebrews. They said no because of a bigger yes. And what was the big yes? It was to go into the promised land. God had promised this years before. They said yes to going into the promised land. And it cost them 40 years of their lives. This big yes cost them 40 years because everyone else above the age of 20 said no. They said the wrong no. And they all died one by one over the next 40 years. They died and they buried them up in the wilderness. Joshua and Caleb said the right no. We're still talking about them 3,000 years later. One of my favorite stories as a kid was the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Y'all heard of them? If you've seen the Veggie Tales, it's Shadrach and Benny. You need to watch it. It's a good one. <laughs> King Nebuchadnezzar. They said no to King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar built this statue, this Sam Houston-sized statue. Put the first one up there. How many of y'all have been driving up I-45, you're heading north, and you see Sam Houston? The first time we ever did this, when my kids were old enough, they were like, is that a ghost? Because for like two miles, you can see homeboy. This is in the daylight. At night, when you got the, the lights on him, dude's glowing. It looks like he's floating above the highway. It's over two miles from the southern, uh, coming south, uh, northbound on I-45. He's just floating there and, you know, kids are little and they're like, no, 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 he's not going to come out. You've seen too many movies like that, hadn't you? Boom, boom, sucker starts, becomes animated and comes and starts stomping on cars. Well, this guy's 65 feet tall here. Sam, here's another picture. Just, you know, you can go to the, to the uh, visitor center. I know some of y'all done that. Has anybody taken pictures? I know the candidate's done that. They've taken pictures. Uh, Jennifer's done that. Um, it, he's big. Here's one more picture. I just thought this was kind of creepy. Looking through the trees. At the back of his head. I mean, you're going, shh, don't wake him. You know, that type of deal. Because this homeboy, you don't want him to stomp on you. Sam Houston. Okay, you've seen it, right? Sam Houston was 65 feet tall. Nebuchadnezzar's statue was 90 feet tall. Stick a telephone pole on Sam's head, and you got about the height of Nebuchadnezzar's statue. And here's what they said. They said, when you hear the music, King Nebuchadnezzar said, when you hear the music, you fall and worship this big statue. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, mm, nope, can't do it. So people told on them, because they were Hebrews in, in, in a foreign land. They told on them, brought them before the king. The king says, okay, guys, okay, guys, I, I really like y'all, and y'all have given me some good advice. I'm going to play the music right now. If you hear the music, fall down and worship my idol, then, then all's good, all's forgiven. You know, they start doodling the music and they're like, not going to do it. King Nebuchadnezzar gets mad, heats up the fiery furnace seven times hotter than normal, so hot that the guys, the, the guards that go to throw them in there, the two guards die before they even get to the, the fiery furnace. And, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no. 
They said, our God is able to deliver us and he will. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow to you. You see, when, when you follow the true God, you don't bow to a fake one, no matter the cost. They said the right no, and it changed the whole nation. We've got to learn when the right no is coming because of a bigger yes. If we fast forward to the New Testament, the very first uh, book of the New Testament is what? Matthew. Matthew was a loaded tax collector. He left this incredible accounting business, all kinds of money, all the stuff that you should want to have, the world says. He left it behind. He said no to it so that he could become a follower of Jesus Christ and eventually write the first book of the New Testament. Well, in the fourth chapter of that book, we find the temptation trifecta. Satan comes to Jesus three times and tries to get him to do something that, that is Satan's plan and not God's plan. The first time he comes to him, he goes, Hey, Jesus, turn these stones into bread because Jesus hadn't eaten for 40 days. He's like, You're starving, dude. Just turn these stones into bread. What could, what could be wrong with that? And Jesus says, What? No. And then he quotes scripture. So Satan says, Okay, well, how about this? This is awesome, Jesus. I got a great idea. Let's go to the highest point in, in Jerusalem jump off, because there'll be a crowd, there's a crowd everywhere you go, Jesus, jump off and save yourself. Because then everybody will say, he really is God. This will be an awesome plan. And what does Jesus say? No. And he quotes scripture. So then Satan does the last thing. He shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, if you'll just bow before me, Jesus, you can have it all. And what does Jesus say? No. And he says, yes, to the Word of God. And he says the Word of God again. Here's, here's what's written in the Word of God is what Jesus says. Why did Jesus say no, no, no? Because of a bigger yes. What was the bigger yes? It was the cross. And if Jesus hadn't said yes to the cross and no to Satan, you and I would still be lost in our sins. We'd have no reason to meet here today. We wouldn't have the New Testament of the Bible. Jesus said the right no to, to, to Satan so he could say a bigger yes to God's plan. And God's plan led through the suffering, led through his death on the cross, led through the burial and the resurrection, but eventually it led through his, his coming back from the dead so that you and I could have a relationship with God. And Jesus would tell you it was all worth it because of you. He'd have done it if you were the only one. He said no to all these other things. Shame, pain, I mean, it's yes to shame and pain so that he could say... Uh, say yes to God's plan so that you and I could have a relationship with Him and go to heaven forever. The right no frees you up to say the right yes. So we've got to learn to say no because of this bigger yes. And I'm going to give you some necessary no's today. All right, take some, take some notes and hopefully you'll, you'll be able to remember these because I want you to practice them. The first one is the drain no. I'm not talking about draino. How many of y'all remember that? There actually used to be a commercial. That's, that's to clean out your pipes. Not like, you know, indigestion. This is to clean out your, your other sewer pipes, you know, the ones for your house. No, I'm talking a different drain no. Y'all know what a leech is? What does a leech do? Sucks your blood. Are leeches pleasant little suckers? No. Do you want to walk in some water where you know you'll be attacked by blood-sucking leeches? No. If you ever saw Rambo, I think it's the second Rambo, dude comes out of the pit and he's got leeches all over him. I'll never forget that scene. 
You and I have an enemy. His name is Satan. And I believe he's planted five or six leeches in your life to suck you dry. We have these relationships. They're not relationships. If we're not careful, we can spend so much energy and time, we can talk to them till we're blue in the face and they don't change their ways. We can pray for them and they don't change their ways. We can, we can counsel them. We can give them money. We can do all of this stuff and they just drain and drain and drain and drain. And then the problem is the significant relationships in our life get leftovers. Ladies, you got to be real careful with this because you're naturally more sympathetic, you're more empathetic than we are. You tend to listen better than men do because you're just, quite honestly, smarter than men uh, relationally. We don't have a clue about relationships. Let me let you in a little secret. We don't really care to know about relationships. I mean, you know, honestly. So don't try to change us. Just love us and, and ask God to beat us upside the head because He will. Um, but ladies, you, you take on these projects sometimes. And you think, if I just give a little more of my time, if I just listen better, if I just, if I go do this with him, if I do this with him, I do this. And what happens is your family gets neglected because you have a project. Now, guys, we do the same thing, but we don't do it so much trying to change the other person. We just feel sorry for him and hang out with him. Guys, we have men who always pressure us to compromise. We have men who will lead us astray, who will borrow things from us, who will come in between us and our families if we let them. Every one of you sitting here today has some leeches in your life. And the question is, what are you going to do with those leeches? Now, um, there there are basically three types of, of relationships in your life. Three types of people. There's only three types of people in the world. The first type of person is like this light here. You know where I'm going, don't you? If, I'm not going to point it at you, but... Now, that's really bright, isn't it? This, this sucker's charged, fully charged. This light can suck everything out of here and show bright. And I use this when I go hunting. We go spotlighting sometimes, go fishing. We use this thing because it's just a blast. I like to have, this is 3 million candle power. I want one of the 15 million candle powers, but I'm not sure I could carry it. Um, I need a I need a truck for it, but I want I want my light to to shine bright. The problem is, what happens if I leave this going? What happens to my battery? It will drain it. But as long as this thing's plugged in, it's got all kinds of power. You have people in your life that when you they're plugged into you, man, their life's great. When your your universe is revolving around them, their life is great. And you leave the relationship drained. You spend time with them and and you just walk away. And it's like you've been up for 48 hours. Because they suck the life out of you. You can just say they suck for short. But they suck the life out of you. All of us have those type of relationships. Now, there's another type of individual that is kind of like another battery. And, And when you hang out with them, they don't drain you. They just don't necessarily charge you either. It's kind of a neutral relationship. Maybe there's a little bit of back and forth and, you know, it's it's not an unpleasant deal. It's just when you leave, you know, it's kind of a neutral type feeling. But then there are, and these are the ones that are most important. There are some charging relationships 
My battery charger is one of the most important things I have if you're going to go fishing. Because what happens if you get out there? I mean, I've been on the water with no trolling motor. And my big motor goes out. You're paddling. First time I ever took my boat on Lake Palestine, it died. And I was with my mom, who was 75 at the time, and Caleb and Rachel, who were 7 and 5 at the time. And the wind's blowing away from where we needed to paddle. So there's Mama over there paddling, and I think, I think she's going the wrong direction. Because after a while, I'm like, Mom, just stop! Stop it! And I paddled, and we got way off course, and I had to jump out and climb up on the bridge, and I'm pulling the boat, you know. Intelligent people. Your motor died? No. I'm just exercising. My face was red. Janie's on the shore with my 80-year-old dad, and, and Hannah's an infant. and She's going, they went around that corner a long time ago. The most important thing I have now, I have like three different battery chargers. Got one in the boat that I never use anymore, so it doesn't do me any good. But when you come home, you plug it in and you charge it up. These are the people that you can hang out with them. You, and, and you look at your, your, your watch. Before you know it, you've spent hours with them. And you don't want to leave. We had some friends come in town just this last weekend, and that's the type of friends they are. Jenny said, you know, we're going to be up half the night. I said, yeah, I know. And, and we walked and, you know, walked around the neighborhood and we just talked for hours and we could just keep on talking. We could have talked the whole night through, but all of us had to get up and go to work. You need those, those replenishing relationships, those that charge you up. You've got to have them. And so you've got to have some balance in your life. So I want you to think about the drain nose. In fact, I want you to practice saying that. Drain no. Ready? One, two, three. Drain no. Say it again. Say it loudly. Now, here's the thing. When you say, now, this is the key. Because it's not, it's not biblical to say, well, I'm never going to have any leeches in my life. I'm going to live isolated. Those leeches, they can just suck on somebody else. Jesus had some leeches in his life. But the key is balance. You've got to have those charging relationships. Some of you are sucking wind right now because you've spent all of your time Hanging out with leeches. You don't diss them. You don't treat them as less than. But you got to have balance. You're going to have neutral relationships. you got to focus on those positive relationships. You say drain no so that you can focus on a bigger yes of your family. Of your relationship with God. Of your relationship with your children. And, and you got to make a priority to have those filling relationships. So we're going to practice this week saying drain right? But the reason you say drain is because of a bigger yes. Second thing you need to say no to is techno. Nobody likes technology around here, do they? No. no. Nobody needs a new cell phone, do you? No. No, no, no. no. Anybody need a new computer? No. Techno, that's right. I love the Internet. I, I read, I check my email every day. I surf the Internet every day. But if you are spending more time looking at your computer screen than you are looking in the eyes of people in your life, you got issues. If you receive three phone calls 
From the time you park your car in the driveway until you make it in the house at night, you have issues. If you are on a date and you're spending more time texting than you are looking at the date, you have issues. Some of you are laughing and you're pointing. Yeah. I was with a group of folks the other day and, man, we're all just having a good time. And and there were a bunch of people there. We're talking and there's one person over here texting. Never heard a word that the rest of us said. Yeah, well, I just done this sermon, too, and I'm just going, oh, techno, techno. He didn't know. He thought I was cussing. Um, He didn't know what I was saying. But here's the thing. If you take your technological toys on vacation, not only do you have issues, your family has issues. And your spouse is not the only one who recognizes when you're physically present but emotionally absent. Kids are smart. They know when other things are more important than them. And it's what you spend the most time with. Y'all have all heard the 23rd Psalm, right? Here's a new 23rd Psalm. Technology is my shepherd, I shall not want. It makes me lie down in front of the high-definition screen. It leaves me with incessant noise. It makes me feel significant. Though I walk through the valley of no cell phone coverage, can you hear me now? You are with me. My Blackberry, iPhone, laptop, they comfort me. You set wireless access before me in the presence of my family. You anoint my head with Bluetooth. My email overflows. Surely Microsoft and Verizon, and because I got in trouble last week for dissing cell phone companies, AT&T and Cellular One, too, will follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the database forever, unless I'm inadvertently deleted. (laughs) Would you acknowledge that we're a restless society? We want something to do. We want something to occupy our time. We're restless. And I think we're restless because it covers up a deeper issue. It's basically that we have empty souls. Empty lives. If I stay busy, I don't have to think about my life sucks. But I want to argue today, this point, that the Bible teaches that stillness is the first thing necessary to achieve the life that you really want. Look what the Bible says. Psalm 46.10. Be what? How many of you got uncomfortable earlier when I had a silent prayer time? Some of you are like, oh, no, I'm not going to admit. But we don't know how to be quiet. We don't know how to be still. Be still and know that I am God. There's a correlation between the amount of time you spend being still before God and how close you are to God. Some people, you know, won't even take an hour a week to, to, to come and worship together, even though the Bible commands that, because they just don't have time. Is it any wonder that their lives don't re- reflect Jesus Christ? Is it any wonder that, that you make bad decisions when you're never still before God? And, and I think this means that we've got to take maybe some baby steps to do some things better and balance in this area of technology, because I love technology. But not as much as you, you see. Some of you have seen Napoleon Dynamite. That was a bad kip I just did. I love technology, but not as much as you, you see. Okay, if you have a cell phone, I want you to take it out today. Right now. Take it out. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. You got them. 
All right, there you go. Left in the truck. Good. If you have your cell phone with you, pull it out. Hurry up. Hurry up. We don't have time for this. Come on. Come on. We can't be still. Come on. Come on. Lift it up. Hold it wherever you... My eyes are so jacked up that I have to do this. So wherever your point is, you know, that you can see your phone, hold it right there. And once you repeat after me, I am in charge. You're talking to your phone. Look at your phone. I am in charge. Say that. I control you. I don't have to answer you if I don't want to. Put those up. Right now. <laughs> it's your phone. Why do you have to answer it? Some of you answer it during church. I've seen you. Which is amazing because I don't get... There's like two squares in this whole building where I get reception. One of them's right back there at the sound booth and some, the other one's somewhere out in the living room. So if somebody calls me and I happen to get it there and I move, I lose them. I'm like, dude, i got to go outside. But put it down. Turn it off. Oh, from the mouth of babes. <laughs> if you're not sure if you have an issue, talk to your family or some, a friend who doesn't mind telling you the truth. And see if you have an issue. And then make time for what's most important. So just ask this question. Which one is going to improve your relationship with your spouse, with your family, with your friends? Spending time on your technology or spending just a little bit of silent time with God? Which one? If you say technology, we will beat you with your phone. In the, Old Te in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, they stone people. We're going to phone people. Ooh, ooh. All right, there's a third thing you need to say no to. Porno. No. It's going to get real silent. <laughs> and immediately when I say porn, most women here are going to go, oh, that's an issue for men. Ladies, you can commit pornography by the way you dress, by the way you act. So don't be saying this is just a guy thing. Guys, we, we are very visually oriented and we're bombarded 24 hours a day, seven days a week with images, sexual images. You can't go anywhere without seeing some form of porn. I went to the MLS All-Star Soccer game this past Wednesday night in Houston. They were playing Manchester United. And just a word of advice, Man U fans are just as obnoxious as Yankee fans. Where's Cassie? There she is. Not that there's anything wrong with being a Yankee fan. I know. Anyway, that's an aside. We, we go to this fan fest thing out in the parking lot. And by the way, if you ever do a fan fest thing for an all-star game, put it in the air conditioning. Anyway, so there's all these booths. And there's AT&T, there's Home Depot, there's... A, sorry, there's no other cell phone things there. Can't, can't give you props for that one. There's Napa Auto Parts, there's Volkswagen, there's, there's Pepsi, there's even a Makita Power Tools. 
And they would have all these games, and they would try to get you to come in. And all we did was run around from booth to booth trying to get free stuff. I got T-shirts, I got hats, got little uh, wristbands, got lanyards. I got all kinds of cool stuff. Well, we hadn't been to the Makita Power Tool. I love Power Tools. I'm like, dude, let's go check out Makita Power Tools. So all four of us, we come walking up to Makita Power Tools. And it's a massive display. I mean, wall to wall in here, it would have been that wide. And there's a dude talking on the microphone. And, and, and he goes, hey, senor. Would you like to have your picture made with Senorita Makita? And I look over at Senorita Makita. And she is a very well-proportioned Hispanic woman in very little clothing. I'm like, no way, Jose. <laughs> no. I just said no. And, and I pulled my son. And, and Ryan and I were like, no, just keep walking. Why does Senorita Makita need to be in no clothes? Because sex sells. Put a trench coat on the chick. Caleb said, would you ever get your picture made? And I said, the only way I would ever is if your mama drugged me over there and said, let's get our picture made. Because I told her about Senorita Makita. I didn't even get the words out of my mouth. She said, you better not. I said, baby, you're the only Senorita for me. Yeah. Sex is everywhere. And see, here's did you know that lust is is simply a God-given desire gone haywire? Sex is one of the greatest gifts God has given us. God gave us a desire for the opposite sex. And then he tells us from Genesis, first book, to Revelation, last book, only do sex God's way. Because you cannot do sex outside of God's way and expect a blessing. The Bible's very, very clear on that. And you want to know what sex God's way is? Look at 1 Corinthians 6.18. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. In the original Greek, the word for run is run! Whole buns! It's saying no while you're heading for the dough. Nobody has sex while they're running a marathon. You're tempted. Take off. How hard is that? We've got to learn to say no because God is protecting us for a bigger yes. And the bigger yes is marriage. The bigger yes is commitment. What I want to challenge you to do is say no. When, when you see images of, of women on TV or in magazines or whatever, you're, you're only seeing a small portion of that person. Maybe you're seeing a lot of that person with very little clothes on, but you're not seeing who they are on the inside. A friend of mine worked in a strip club years ago, and he said, man, they were some of the best-looking women he'd ever seen, and they were messed up emotionally. All of them had multiple uh, marriages or, or lovers. They were confused about life. And they were very hard-hearted. And he said, man, they were messed up people. You only see an image. And Satan, our enemy, wants you to compare your spouse to that image. And that's unrealistic. And it's unfair. Especially, dudes, because look at you. (laughs) Spend some time looking in the mirror. When you look at the world of porn, all we're doing is we're taking something that is God-given and we're using it in a God-forbidden way. And we got to say no to that. 
And sex is, is in a category all by itself because there's a physical aspect of sex, there's an emotional aspect of sex, there's a psychological aspect of sex, and there's a spiritual act, uh, aspect of sex. It's, it's a sin against your body. And that's why when someone has sex outside of marriage and then they break up, all hell breaks loose. Actually, all hell celebrates because they've driven a wedge between you and your Creator again. We've got to say yes to doing things God's way. Now, here's the deal. If this, this edge of this stage, if this is the edge and the ledge of sin, if this is the edge and ledge of moral compromise, you do not make decisions about right and wrong standing here. You do it way as far... I wish I could go several miles back over here. You do it way back over here. I used to tell teenagers, you don't make decisions about moral compromise in the back seat of a car. Touching and fondling somebody where you shouldn't. You make the decision long before you ever get in the car. You make the decision before you ever get to the hotel room. You make a decision way back over here to say no to certain things because there's a bigger yes and God has promised if I will, if I will focus on the bigger yes, He'll bless me. You make the decision way back here so that if you trip and stumble, you don't go over the ledge. Does that make sense? So, let me just offer this. Maybe right now, sitting here, you need to make some decisions about your moral life. In the safety of this moment, maybe this is when you need to say, I'm not going to read that trash. Romance novels, trash. I read some when I was a teenager. I'd sneak in and get some from my mom's room and read them. It's trash. Guys, maybe you need to make some decisions about the websites that you're going to visit. Guys, maybe you need to put some stuff on your computer, some software that will block some junk. Maybe you need to make that decision right now so that you can say a bigger yes to doing life God's way. If your family is jacked up and you are the spiritual leader of the family, could it be that you're jacked up? Could it be that your family is merely... Uh, just saying. Could it be that your family is a reflection of you as the spiritual leader in the home? Decide to say poor no. All right, last one. This is the oh no. Oh no, you didn't. <laughs> Here's, here's what I mean by this. Don't tell me what you are doing. Tell me what you're not doing. Don't tell me what you're adding to your life. Tell me what you're subtracting from your life. Don't tell me about your workload, what you're adding to it, or what you're contributing to and adding to your company. Tell me what you are saying no to. Because if we're going to walk in God's will, we've got to say no to certain things because they have a bigger yes. And sometimes that's tough to do. I want you to think about your schedule. Are you, are you saying no on a regular basis to your schedule? If you're not, you're giving leftovers to your family. You say no to the good because you've got to say yes to the best. Good is actually the enemy of best. Most of us, if we were to examine our calendars today, we do a lot of good things. We don't do a lot of immoral things. We do a lot of good things, but it's robbing us of the best things. So you've got to say no to the good to say yes to the best. You say no that anything that is not of God. So this week I want you to say no. I want you to practice this. This week saying no with no excuses. 
Don't say no because. Just say no. And I want you to practice saying drain no, tech no, porno, and oh no. And maybe for the first time in a long time, here's what I want to challenge you to do. You've got this time in your schedule. You have it. I want you to spend five minutes for the next seven days, five minutes a day, just sitting still somewhere. It means you may have to go find a place out deep in the woods behind your house. You find a place and you sit and and here's what you say. God, I need you to show me who you are and what you want me to do. Now, take a piece of paper and a pen with you. If you need to get a notebook, because I'm going to tell you that if you'll pray that prayer, God will reveal himself to you. It will rock your world. It will change your attitude if you'll only spend five minutes a day saying, God, this day is yours. Thank you for giving it to me. Tell me what you want me to do today. How hard is that? I don't have time for five minutes. Well, come see me when your life is completely falling apart, because it will be if you try to do things against God's will. We say no so that we can say a bigger yes.